This is an RNZ podcast. Last weekend here on Media Watch, we looked at New New Zealand Rebuilding Better, a New Zealand Herald initiative aiming to push back against short-term thinking and political tribalism as the country's economy rebuilds after COVID. And so do key industries like farming, where resistance to reform and regulation is often what we end up hearing about in our media. We're a, a, a com- country where uh, agriculture is completely central to our economy and farmers have a lot of power. And we've uh, got to hear these views. I mean, that's the thing. It's about, there, there's, going, if you, there's going to be a robust discussion. I think, yeah, and, and to, to, to what David's saying about underground voices, you know, if you, if you suppress, uh, you know, what are people's reactions to things, you, you push people underground and you get to that kind of, um, you know, uh, New World Order, anti-vax kind of uh, stuff. You know, you, you have, when, when there is a large... Uh, I, don't want to make the joke groundswell of uh, I just made it. <laughs> I, I do know what you mean <laughs> of opinion. You have to acknowledge that, especially on a farming show, or 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 if your audience is, um, you know, a, a relatively conservative audience who feels that way. New Zealand Herald editors David Rowe and Liam Dan there on Media Watch last week. Now, farmers also got a jolt last week from Fonterra, whose top brass warned the farmers who own it they risk losing customers and facing trade barriers overseas if they don't meet sustainability expectations, including lower carbon emissions. Well, for Media Watch this week, Hayden Donnell now talks to another editor right in the middle of that debate, whose views end up in the mailboxes of just about every farmer in the country, including many who won't agree with them. What we want the city people here to know is that there's no scientific or moral case. So you being taxed and driven off your farms of methane are extremely limited in how they can impact. So we've got to stand up and fight against this for every reason. That's a farmer speaking at the latest groundswell protest held last month over the government's plan to tax farmers' emissions from 2025. His tone was in keeping with that of the so-called howl of a protest groundswell carried out in July 2021, where attendees delivered sound bites like this. These farmers are angry, and this is how they decided to show it. We're getting sick of being bullied. We've had enough. We really have. If you've been monitoring the mainstream media, you could be forgiven for thinking these sorts of strident, sometimes angry views are the consensus across the farming community. That's certainly been the contention of commentators like Jamie Mackay of Newstalk ZB's The Country. In a column for The Herald headlined, Why This Virtue Signalling Government Is So Reviled by the Rural Sector, he pointed to a growing chasm between farmers and the government. The past two years have been the most divisive of my lifetime. We're all rowing in separate directions. I think it's called being up the creek without a paddle. It's worth noting, though, that Mackay later told News Talks Afternoons host Heather Duplessy-Allen that the story's headline was a bit clickbaity. Well, I wrote a column in the Herald today, and it's always a great honour to be asked to write a column, but um, I see that the headline, uh, the clickbait headline is uh, why this virtue signalling government is so reviled by the rural sector. Not quite what I wrote, Heather. I said, would it be unkind to say that you've got to go back to the days of Longy and Rogernomics to find a government so reviled by the rural sector? I asked a I, question I feel like rather the than made a statement. Yeah, I feel like the editors saw your actual meaning, though, and conveyed it in the headline, and, you know, you can't really complain about it. It was a great article, actually, I thought. Even so, no one reading his column could be under any illusions about the farming community's view. They're mad, and they're not going to take it anymore. 
However, at least one rural publication has a different perspective. Farmers Weekly purports to go out to every farm in the country, all 80,000 of them, every week, and if you open up to the editorial page of its last few issues, you'll find lines like this. Arrow leadership, as it's often called, is not effective. It doesn't empower anyone except the leader. Anyone who says it's my way or the highway will inevitably find themselves alone on the road, the convoy having turned off in another direction. That's Farmers Weekly editor Brian Gibson warning about taking a strident, uncompromising approach to negotiations with the government. His measured tone stands in contrast to some of the rhetoric in the media. In another editorial, he acknowledges farmers' frustrations, saying a lot of them are justified, but then again makes a call for collaboration over conflict. How can we communicate with the people who we feel have misunderstood our purpose so they can help rather than hinder progress? It all comes back to groundwork, to having a sound foundation to build upon. This sort of nuanced take doesn't always make for a good headline. But it's worth asking whether Gibson is speaking for a sector of the rural community that doesn't exactly get top billing from our news outlets. And even if he's not, how is he fearing preaching peace and conciliation to the part of his audience that wants confrontation? I put those questions to him this week. I guess we just saw that there was a breakdown in communication between both the government and the farming sector and also farming industry leadership and the farming sector as well. And there seem to be just um, two opposing points of view butting against each other with not a lot of room to um, meet in the middle. It was a good idea to reframe that a little and um, urge everyone to realise what they have in common and, you know, just settle down a little, I guess. Why do you think that more aggressive approach is unproductive? If you oppose something and you um, don't have any um, room to negotiate on it and the other side is the same, then nothing is going to be resolved. Say, for example, in terms of emissions pricing, the government obviously wants emissions pricing and has put forward legislation to achieve that, worked out in conjunction with the sector, which was a pretty groundbreaking approach to take. Obviously, it's come back now with some um, government tweaks to it. Uh, Industry leadership has kind of, you know, said this is not what we signed up for. But at the end of the day, I think everyone wants to get a pricing system that works and that is manageable and that farmers can go forward with with confidence. Um, But at the moment, we've got a lot of conflict and there's more anger and outrage and less at Fonterra's annual meeting, um, they signalled that they would be um, perhaps bringing in a um, emissions target um, for their suppliers. Um, so, you know, the market is kind of aligning with um, the government in terms of, you know, seeing the need to have an emissions pricing system. There's also the optics of the whole thing, you know what I mean? Um, the farming sector is in some ways seen as just opposed wholesale to dealing with the externalities of farming systems as a whole. And I don't think that's a great look. Because looking at the media coverage now, you get the impression farmers are angry, they're fed up, they're not going to take it. Do you Mm. think that that portrait of farmers' perspectives is a fair representation of the views in the wider farming community? 
Not as a whole. It is certainly a fair view to a certain extent. I mean, farmers, uh, business owners, anyone who has owned a business knows that there is a lot of a lot of worry and a lot of figuring out how you're going to make your way in the world and pay off your loans and that sort of thing. And so there's a lot of fear that um, added cost changes to farming systems that are uh, forced from external forces is going to you know upend what you've known and done for such a long time. We now find ourselves so far down the track, some groups in the farming sector can't see how it's going to work for them. And so that's where, where we get the anger from. It's interesting, you talk to 10 farmers, you, you get a range of opinion. The agriculture industry in New Zealand is very, very large. Um, and so there is a range of views within it. I guess what I'm saying is, is the more moderate perspective being communicated outside of Farmers Weekly? Well, I mean, you know, uh, we live in a world where um, it's quite easy to form a group on Facebook and sort of manufacture outrage and the algorithms push that along. And so I think society as a whole, as we've seen through COVID-19, has kind of brought us to a place where anger, you know, gets you up the ladder in terms of reach. And so that kind of makes a problematic way to solve problems. Have you received pushback from inside the farming community over your calls for compromise? Yeah, I have. Um, But having said that, people involved in the media industry know you tend to get pushback on most things. Part of the job, I think. What kind of pushback have you received? You know, you get people who obviously point out flaws in the detail of various pieces of legislation, you know, with the um, emissions pricing again, um, those sticking points are around counting of sequestration and, um, you know, management of the um, others just sort of have a more sort of tribal aspect to it. You know, you should be backing farmers. But um, I guess I'm more focused on the big picture. So I understand that the details need to be worked out and need to be right and need to give farmers a fair deal and a way to give them confidence that they can run profitable businesses. But on the other hand, the big picture, um, if you look at the way the world is going, um, the way markets are going overseas, the social license to farmers tracking, then this is just something I think for the good of farming needs to get over the line. Do you think that that big picture is being seen enough by some of these less compromising parts of the farming community. You know, there are countries all across the world that are taking action on climate change and probably won't look too kindly on a country that isn't. Is is that argument being communicated? Is that big picture being seen? You know, but we've been reporting for some time about the likes of um, Tesco and Nestle, Danone, Unilever, who are all big customers of our food products, and they have all signed up to net zero by 2050 or 2030 to protect their own brands and their own um, future businesses. As we sell our products to them, we need to be a part of that. I mean, you know, um, Groundswell have valid um, uh, opinions and valid problems. There's a reason Groundswell exists, and that's because the communication has not been good enough to take everyone on the journey. There are, in the farming, there are so many different types of farms, you know, different terrain, different um, uh, livestock uh, mixes, um, different 
you know, uh, different levels of debt, um, that sort of thing. People are at different ages and different stages of their careers. And so if you put all that together, then you get a lot of people with a lot of fear and confusion. If you could mm. make just one change to the media coverage, I put you in charge of the media coverage of farming and uh, charging on emissions, all these sorts of issues. What mm. would you do? Is it just to add more nuance, to add more compromise? Yeah, I think so. I think it is. I think, um, you know, I think we just need to change the narrative so people, everyone feels empowered. By definition, um, you know, regulation is kind of an imposition. If you can change the narrative on that to make it an opportunity, um, because there are amazing opportunities for New Zealand's food production sector to capitalise on the position it is in at the moment in terms of its sustainability um, compared to a lot of other big food producing nations in the world. And that sometimes gets lost. And, you know, change is hard. Um, but, um, you know, if we can all figure out what we want at the end and then put in a structure to, to get us there, then that would be far better. Yeah. Actually, Brian, in one of your editorials, uh, you mentioned uh, someone that wrote into you when you announced the winner of a Māori farming competition, criticising you for what they called separatist views. So, I mean, these are the kinds of things that you're having to deal with. There are there are parts of society that, um, you know, kind of think it's. I guess it's the you know the one person one vote kind of um, mentality that um, is in our political discourse a lot and you know some people do take offense to there being competitions and that sort of thing and and scholarships and programs for um you know maori or other other groups in new zealand um but that's just i don't know i mean i i another thing that you told me earlier (laughs) was that (laughs) when you write about how we need to negotiate with each other you you get accused of uh, being farmers wokely yeah, 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 we get that a little bit. Farmers Weekly, the other one is Farmers Weekly with a EA. So <laughs> people just seem to be a lot more angry in the last few years. COVID-19 has a lot to do with it, but also um, social media has a lot to do with it too because to um, get social media reach, some people find that manufacturing outrage is a good way to do that. That was Brian Gibson, the managing editor of Farmers Weekly, or, as he told Media Watch's Hayden Donnell there, Farmers Wokely, to some of its critics among the nation's farmers, who all get it for free every week in their mailbox.